Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another live episode of the Rob Prospect Podcast. Today's episode 190, and we're doing week four of our Raw Rundown series. If you're new here, first of all, hit that like and subscribe buttons on if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening on our audio platforms, leave a five-star rating review. We really appreciate that. Um, and this is what we do every week. We go through, uh, we point out three teams that we thought stood out positively and three teams that we thought stood out negatively. Um, and we started out with our raw prospect of the week where we each choose a player we thought um, maybe isn't getting the the praise that they deserve and we want to give them a shout out. Um, but before we get into all that, joining me from Houston, Texas, the Stat King himself, Mr. Michael Ween. How you doing, man? Doing good. It is officially Red River Rivalry Week, and we will have lots of deep in the heart of Longhorn content to get into later this week, where you will see at least once, and you'll see myself a lot talking about Texas and OU. This is the first time since 2009 that the programs will match up when both are undefeated. Uh, So that is exciting. We got some great college football coming this weekend and even better college football coming the next weekend. And we just got a great week of NFL football games. Um, I will address the elephant in the room possibly later in this show. But overall, really good weekend. Got to see uh, my grandparents. Got to see uh, some family members that I don't usually see, but maybe once if I'm lucky, twice a year. Um, so that was fun. Uh, good weather in Houston. Um, and the MLB playoffs start tomorrow. So I'm loving life. Um, we might, if we're able to, throw out our predictions for the wild card series, each of the four wild card series at the very end, if we get through our NFL content in due time. But there's a lot to talk about. So with that, make sure you like and subscribe. If by chance you're watching live at this hour, then maybe get involved in the chat. We greatly appreciate that. And uh, let's get into our prospect of the week. Um, would you like me to go first or would you like to go first? Um, I can go first. Uh, I think for my prospect of the week, it was a pretty simple choice. Um, I... Uh, I just thought this player really had a renaissance type of game, has had a quiet year thus far this year, and really exploded onto the scene. And that was Cleo Mack. Um, Six sacks, three forced fumbles, and really I thought just took over that entire game, was just lived in the backfield, made plays uh, defending the run. And as I said, six sacks is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, I believe it was a career high as well. Um, it was just a absolute domination. And at this point in his career, it, it came a little bit unexpectedly, but we know he's capable of that. And it was very much needed for a Chargers team who was missing Joey Bosa and was kind of just holding on to that lead by the skin of their teeth at the end of that game against the Raiders. I feel like no matter how good the Chargers play on a week-to-week basis, that's going to kind of be what their games look like. Uh, 
They're going to have some bad. You're going to have some really good. Uh, and it's likely going to come down to one, one possession-ish just because you don't really trust their coach. You don't really trust that they'll be buttoned up on a week-to-week basis. They're, I don't really trust their defense. I mean, if Khalil Mack plays like that, it gives me a lot more hope. But consistent basis, I don't know. But, yes, I mean, Khalil Mack, without that performance, it's arguable that that game either goes to overtime or the Chargers maybe even are in danger of losing that game. Uh, But good win for the Chargers. Maybe we'll talk about them later. That was a great pick. Um, For me, I went – last week I went more along the lines of the obvious. This week I went more into the depths of – this player is at a program in college football that nobody is talking about, but they're going to be talking about them this week as they're playing the number one team in the country. Uh, I believe the game is in Athens. and This might be Georgia's toughest test of their season this upcoming week, if you really think about it. If you've watched this particular program play the first five weeks of the season, what Mark Stoops' team is doing right now in Lexington at Kentucky is very, very impressive, and nobody is talking about how good this football team is right now. But I watched a lot of college football, as I always do on Saturday, and Ray Davis, Kentucky's running back, absolutely destroyed Florida. Florida is a pretty good team. Like, they, they, they had a rough go of it week one against Utah, a really good Utah team that did lose to Oregon State this week. Um, but – a really good Utah team that's missing their quarterback and still is missing their quarterback, unfortunate for them. But Florida, you know, beat the hell out of Tennessee, who I think is still a really good SEC team. Um, they had a couple good wins. They were getting some momentum, and that defense has always been pretty good. Um, but, man, Ray Davis, the Vanderbilt transfer, rushed all over them. Listen to this, 26 carries. 280 yards. If you do the math on that, that's about 11 yards per pop. Four total touchdowns against a ranked Florida team. Uh, 189 of his 280 rushing yards. And this is sort. This is somewhat of an indictment on Florida's defense in the way that they played yesterday. But it's also a credit to Ray Davis. 189 of those rushing yards came after contact. So. 215 of those 280 yards came before halftime. Um, So really good performance by Ray Davis. And look, I say all that to say as sort of this year, a college football nerd, I think based on, I mean, based on what I've seen from Georgia and based on what I've seen from Kentucky, don't be surprised if Kentucky is leading that game at some point. Yeah. I, I think uh, Kentucky in that SC East has been a really underrated program for a few years now, obviously with Will Levis last year. And they seem to be always in the mix for eight, nine, ten wins. So uh, they're definitely a team to keep an eye on. Rock solid program that Mark Stoops has built. And who knows, maybe this year is the year that they finally break through and get to that nine, ten win mark. And maybe they put themselves in contention to get to the SEC championship because 
when you really look at the landscape, and I know this is an NFL show, so after I make this point, we'll move on. When you look at the SEC landscape right now, um, LSU already two losses, which is surprising. We'll talk about that probably on Dithole at some point. Um, Bama has a loss, even though it's not in conference. Um, a lot of these other Tennessee already has a loss. Um, and that's in conference. I mean, it's kind of wild in the SEC right now. Georgia doesn't look all that dominant, although you have to give them the benefit of the doubt as they just continue finding ways to win as that offense tries to find its new identity with Carson Beck. I don't know, man. Kentucky, the, the door isn't – I mean, it's pretty wide open right now. As I mean, if they go in and they beat Georgia, the sky's the limit. Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah. Um, let's move on to this NFL conversation. Um, now we're just going to be going through our three teams that trucked, basically teams that really stood out to us in a positive way, maybe turned a corner um, and just impressed us. So we'll start with you. Um, which team impressed you the most in week four? Well, I should remind people that I've had to go back and watch the the um, short versions, if you will, of these games because I was at a game on Sunday and I did not get to watch the full extent of how things played out, especially in the early window. But uh, maybe we'll talk about this other team later on as I think some questions need to be raised about this other team. But I liked what the Tennessee Titans did yesterday. Um, now, they had another team in their division that also – two other teams in their division that you could also put on this list from yesterday and the Jaguars who got the win in London and the Texans. But what the Titans did yesterday, only allowing the Bengals – to have one drive, that defense only allowing the Bengals to have one drive to go more than 30, actually two drives, but one of those drives was at the very end of the game when the game was basically over. Only one drive, and that would be the Bengals' opening drive, other than their last drive of the game, went more than 30 yards. That Titans defense stepped up. It hadn't been a great pass defense up until this point. They stepped up. They got pressure. Uh, Arden Key, uh, that Texans defensive front, who else is on it? Um, Jeffrey Simmons. Jeffrey Simmons. All those guys did a fantastic job getting pressure on Burrow. Um, they were good in the passing game on defense. They were disciplined. They ran the football well with Derrick Henry. Tannehill was fairly efficient, uh, and they just dominated that game. Uh, aside from the first two drives, the first two drives of the game, lasted the entire first quarter. But from the second quarter on, as that game started pretty slow, the Titans ran the football, uh, and they kind of pushed the Bengals around from what I could tell yesterday. And we might address the Bengals side of things later, but I think the Titans deserve to be mentioned. I mean, that's – anytime you win 27-3 to in the NFL, I mean, that's pretty damn good. And right now, if you're the Titans, you're kind of in the thick of it with – the Texans and the Jaguars. I believe all those teams are two and two, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So that, that interesting, that division is becoming more and more interesting week after week. 
So I like the Titans, man. Yeah. Um, that Titans team is, I mean, it's right about exactly what we thought it would be. I mean, it just extremely, you know, tough to beat in terms of you got to go beat them. They're not going to beat themselves. Um, I call them Iowa Hawkeyes NFL version. Um, and it's just pretty essential for them to go out and get a lead early. Cause at that point you force the other team to, you know, be at the mercy of that pass rush, which is, which is not only one of the best, not only the best unit on that team, but also one of the best units in the entire NFL. And at that point, when you're up two touchdowns and the other team has to throw down after down after down, and those dudes can just pin their ears back. I mean, that's what you get. Yeah. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons, Arden Key, Travis Gibson, who forced, uh, who had a strip sack, uh, and Aziz Al Shair. That defensive front played really well on Sunday. Burrow only had time to attempt four passes beyond 10, 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And again, aside from Cincinnati's opening drive and its final drive, Titans defense didn't allow a Bengals drive to travel more than 30 yards on the day. So while there was nothing really going for the Bengals and they have a fair share of issues right now, way to take advantage by Mike Vrabel and that Tennessee Titans team. And while, you know, Ryan Tannehill didn't necessarily light up the, the stat sheet, he was efficient, 18 of 25, 240 yards, which is plenty, uh, one touchdown, an interception which didn't really matter at the end of the day is that Titans defense was able to make up for that. Um, and they made the, they made the Bengals pay for a lack of discipline. Uh, all those penalties on the Bengals defense. Hopkins made a couple key catches. Henry was initially slowed, but from the second quarter on, he, he averaged six and a half yards per carry. Uh, on 15 attempts to finish with 122 yards on the ground. And he had a passing touchdown. So uh, it was like one of those little goal line passing touchdowns. So pretty good. And we'll be talking about that AFC South as that situation continues to develop. Who was your first team? Um, My first team I wanted to shout out. I wanted to shout out the – Houston Texans. And I know we'll be getting to the team they played here eventually. Uh, but, man, Houston. Oh, my goodness. Um, D'Amico Ryans. This is – I mean, th- this team had – or he has arrived as a coach. Like, he is here and legitimately the guy here moving forward. And And I felt pretty confident about him as a coach coming in. But I didn't think things would click defensively this quickly. Um, you saw Jalen Petrie come back this week, immediately make an impact. Will Anderson hasn't been quite as good as um, maybe the amount of draft capital they had to give up um, would, you know, he hasn't been had quite lived up to all that draft capital they gave up. But um, they've had other guys step up. Um, I believe it was – Number 53, uh, I can't remember his name at all, but he just had an incredible game, just lived in the backfield, um, had, a, had a very similar game to what um, Van Ginkle had a few weeks ago on Sunday Night Football. Um, 
man, that, that team, that defense has really come together well. And then offensively, I mean, C.J. Stroud has exceeded all expectations. A lot of the talk around him was, oh, was the Georgia game a fluke? Um, was the, you know, cognition test, you know, did that show something in his ability to, you know, process things? And the resounding answer to that was obviously no. Um, he's been extremely sharp, reading defenses, moving in the pocket, making plays with his legs. He's found a nice balance of things already. And it feels like his NFL career has really just been a continuation of what he showed in that Georgia game, which if you're a Texans fan, you're looking at a dude that might become a elite quarterback, which is extremely exciting. Yeah, and if you're the Texans, this isn't just two consecutive wins that were maybe decided by a turnover, a fluky turnover here or there, or, you know, a weird bounce or a weird call at the end. You know, it wasn't – these were two convincing wins against two, I would say, at least very good – Yeah, good teams. Good teams. I mean, what I think is are good teams on, you know, at least playoff contenders, right? Yeah. I mean, one's a – one we think could be – maybe a AFC championship contender and the other will will certainly maybe be in the fight for at least getting a wild card spot. Um, We'll talk about the other side later, but I think this Texans team, as you mentioned, they're taking on the identity of their head coach. Uh, The offensive coordinator, Bobby Slowick, I think was a great hire. He's in sync with his rookie quarterback, CJ Stroud, and you can see it. Uh, the, the Texans receivers are doing a good job of, you know, making plays, um, tank Dell. I really like him. I'm the more I watch Nico Collins, the more I like him. He had a huge day, seven catches, 168 yards and two touchdowns. Um, and you know, Stroud, if you, if you look at his numbers, it doesn't suggest that, you know, he was great. Only completed about 50% of his passes, 16 of 30, but he he threw for 306. He was in lockstep all day long. He made the throws when he had to make them, um, and he moved that Texans offense up and down the field, up and down the field, was getting the ball out on time. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, man, that Texans team looks really good right now, and they've – not only won two straight games, but they've won them convincingly. Like they look like a real, I'm not going to go as far as to say yet that they are a bona fide playoff contender, but they look like a real team. They look like a team that could win eight or nine games uh, as of right this moment. So uh, yeah, I think that that's a, that's a good one. Okay. Yeah, and back-to-back games with zero sacks allowed for that Texans offensive line with some backups in there. So really yeah. impressive stuff from them as well. That's very surprising. Yeah. Uh, but credit to them, man. I think that's, number one, good coaching. Uh, and number two, just that team just – Executes. Executes, and they're taking on the personality of D'Amico Ryans. Yeah. Um, so – 
great hire. I think, look, it's the first big step to contending in today's NFL. You got to have the coach who, if he's often, if he's an offensive mind, you know, like Mike McDaniels or Andy Reid can elevate the quarterback, or you got to have a really great defensive minded coach that can hire a great staff, a great, a, a good, a very good offensive coordinator. There are many ways to do it, but getting the coach and the quarterback right is the first step to becoming a, a bona fide playoff contender year in and year out. And yeah. they continue to build with already some, I think, good talent on that defense and getting the offensive line situation sorted out. Uh, I think you have the looks of a team that could be competing for playoffs, if not this year, definitely next year and the year after. So once you get the coach and the quarterback, those rebuilds can expedite exponentially um, and go a lot faster. Okay. This is going to be the obvious one, but it has to be mentioned. The Buffalo Bills. Yep. Uh, okay. I went back and watched a lot of this game. What the Buffalo Bills have done the past three weeks after inexplicably losing that game to the Jets in week one on Monday Night Football has just been absolute domination, period. They're outscoring their opponents in the last three weeks, 123 to 33. Now, the fact that they lose Tredavious White to, I believe, what is an Achilles tear or Achilles rupture kind of murkies the water a little bit. Um, But dominant performance, Josh Allen looked great, 21 of 25, four touchdowns, a perfect passer rating. Um, they continue to run the football effectively. They score touchdowns on four of their first uh, five possessions. They punted twice all day. They sort of just punished this Miami defense. Um, and look, I, th- I still believe that Miami is a really, really good team, Super Bowl contender at that. Um, but that defense was getting pressure on Tua all day long. They didn't really give him time to get to his second read yesterday um, to, or to get beyond his first read. He was forced into tough throws. They got quick pressure. They negated most of the explosives that we've seen Miami get through the air um, through the first couple of weeks. Um, Miami had just four pass plays at 20 or more yards. Uh, and their only run play of 16-plus yards came when Buffalo was already up by 28 points in the fourth quarter. It was a 55-yarder from, uh, how do you say his name? Devon A-Chain, is that? Yeah, okay. Devon A-Chain. I've heard people pronounce it differently. That's why I'm sort of confused. Yeah, yeah, it's it's Um, been thrown around different ways for sure. uh, Buffalo didn't allow a first down on four straight second quarter Miami drives, which really blew the game open. The chemistry... Despite some off-season drama, the chemistry between Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs still looks impeccable. Uh, and the defensive line really controlled the game. Gregory Russo, Ed Oliver were really disruptive in the middle. Uh, Micah Hyde continues to be an excellent player in that secondary. Um, 
He had an interception. Uh, who's their edge rusher? Uh, I know there'd be um, Leonard, Leonard Floyd. Floyd. Leonard yeah. Floyd was very disruptive all day off the edge. They're getting while you lose Tredavious White, you should be getting Von Miller back here very soon. Buffalo, man, after that week one loss, they're just they're rolling right now, and they they sort of reminded people that I think needed. I think a lot of people forgot how good this Bills team can be. Not necessarily, I'm not talking about us, but I think a lot of people that I've heard talk on podcasts and elsewhere kind of forgot how good this Bills team can be after some of the offseason drama and uh, how their season ended last year. But man, they're sort of like the Mike Tyson of the NFL. Like when you get their A game, I don't know if they can be beat. Yeah, yeah, they they need to somehow figure out a way to copy and paste this version of this team and this amount of health into the playoffs, which they just haven't been able to do, which, you know, there's a lot of luck that goes into winning a Super Bowl. We all know that. Um, but the thing with the Bills, to me, that's the most impressive is this defensive line has completely turned the corner. And we, this is the thing that we've been waiting on for years now. Greg Rousseau and Ed Oliver have now turned into bona fide, um, I would say, very good number two pass rushers. And now getting your alpha Von Miller back to go in there on, on pass rushing snaps. You got something really good there in terms of a pass rush. They're, they're already stopping the run extremely well. Matt Milano has been in my opinion, a top five linebacker in football this season, maybe even higher. Um, if you look deeper into it, I mean, he's been making an impact all over the field. He's been, I mean, for what they ask him to do now without Tremont, uh, Tremaine Edmonds there, I mean, he means so much to that defense. Um, and then the secondary, as we know, it's been elite for years over years now. Um, and they've played well without Tredavious White before, so I'm not overly concerned about it, but it is definitely going to make a difference. Um, the hope is now that you throw in Kyrie Elam into a bigger role, um, your first-round pick from uh, last year's draft, the year before uh, this year, um, and you know, throw him into the fire and see if he can respond. Absolutely. Who's your second team? Um, I, I had the Bills as one of my teams as well. So um, I'm just going to jump over to my third team here. Good um, idea. I, I think I just – I need to shout out the Ravens. Um, I know it was against a backup quarterback. Um, but actually, you know what? I, I'm gonna, let, Let's talk about the Chargers a little bit. I think today was extremely positive getting to 2-2 two and two for them. Um, there's still questions about the coach, but let's just have a back and forth here about the Chargers here. I think the defense showed a lot of great signs of life today. As I mentioned earlier with Khalil Mack, they're going to get Joey Bosa back here soon. I think the secondary looked a lot better. And the thing that I will give Brandon, Brandon Staley credit for here today is he finally cooked up some different blitzes and stunt packages up front. Like that's really been non-existent here the first few weeks. 
And that's been one of the reasons why it's been like, what are you really doing here, pal? Like, what, you're a defensive coach. And this was the first week where I was watching the Chargers play and you saw the stunt packages and the blitzes really making a difference. They sent um, their first round linebacker from a few years back. Uh, what is his name? Um, they they sent him on blitzes a bunch of times, and he was able to make an impact. They they just need to mix that in a little bit more, and I think this defense can be a lot more towards league average. Um, offensively, I really liked um, what uh, Darius Davis did. He added a little bit of juice there. I I actually wasn't aware of him before today, but they had him coming out of the backfield. They had him. Uh, catching punts as well. I think with his speed, that could be a really necessary element to that offense you're moving forward without Mike Williams. So I still think they need to get Quentin Johnson, their first round pick more involved. But right now, if you're a Chargers fan, there's reason to be positive. Yeah. I mean, you're two and two. I still not. No matter what happens, I I still probably won't love Brandon Staley as a coach. Yeah, but, I won't either. Yeah, um, you found a way to win on a day where your quarterback didn't light up the the scoreboard or the stat sheet. Um, he was, I mean, he was good, but he didn't. It wasn't a vintage Justin Herbert performance. Um, he didn't need to stuff the stat sheet because of what that defense did. They gave him two short fields produced by takeaways um, that made it a lot easier for that offense, helped them to build what was a 24 to seven lead, which then got whittled down a little bit to, I think what was a 24 17 game in the end. It sort of reminded me of uh, what the Raiders did the week before against Pittsburgh uh, when they got down early big and then they started to come back. Of course, facing a backup quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, who showed some really good things in the preseason, his first career start in place of Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, they took the ball away twice, took advantage, sacked him seven times. As you mentioned, they were bringing all kinds of pressure. I think the, the linebacker that you were mentioning, I might be wrong, is Kenneth Murray. Yeah, Junior, Kenneth Murray, correct. Out of Oklahoma, uh, very good player for the three of the Raiders. Um, well, actually, Asante Samuel Jr. had a pick. Um, you know, Khalil Mack answered the call. And when you look at this landscape of your di- division, we know the Chiefs are three and one, but do they look all that great right now? I'm not so sure. I mean, they have Patrick Mahomes and they're winning games. And they have Andy Reid. And I still like the Chiefs better than I do the Chargers. Um, and we'll do our power rankings, our bi-weekly power rankings, most likely on Wednesday. So keep an eye out for that. But the Broncos are one and three. The Raiders are now one and three, I believe, right? So I mean, you're you're one game back of the Chiefs. I don't think you've played the Chiefs yet. Um, so we'll see where it goes from here. Um since we are 33 minutes in, maybe I'll just make the Chargers my third team. Uh, there were some other teams I think we could shout out if we have extra time at the end. But I think now that we're about halfway through, we'll move on to 
uh, are three teams that sucked. There were some other teams. I mean, I could point out the Lions, but I already sort of – I mean, I'll stand on the table for the Lions. I've sort of become that at this point. Yeah. Uh, they were pretty dominant, I thought, Thursday night in Green Bay. That defensive line, again, uh, was, was very impressive to me. Um, I believe Jared Goff has the the highest completion percentage on throws 20 or more yards down the field. David Montgomery was a beast in the running game. Uh, so if I had to choose another team, that would probably be it. Uh, but let's move on to our teams that sucked. Yeah, um, let's do it. You want me to start? Um, I'll start out with this one. Um, let, let's start out this conversation with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I think – my teams. Yeah. Um, it, it's really just a conversation surrounding Desmond Ritter and how we feel about him at this point. It, it doesn't – it doesn't look good right now. Um, with the weapons that they have and the offense that they're capable of having with just – decent quarterback play, it just feels like you throw Taylor Heineke in there and maybe this thing will start to turn a little bit. Um, but um, how, how? where do you stand on it? I kind of think we're on a similar wavelength here. Um, look, I mean, by no means, you look at the Falcons' schedule, I still think there's an opportunity to win a bunch of these games with whichever quarterback is playing. I don't think their schedule is overly demanding until we get later on in the season. Um, But regardless, I mean, I do think there's a conversation to be had right now. I'm not liking what I'm seeing from Desmond Ritter. You have a a lot of offensive talent around you. Uh, You have Kyle Pitts, who's not being used uh, correctly, in my opinion, or just – they don't know how to use him uh, for whatever reason. Bijan Robinson, of course, has has been good. He's been really good. Uh, he's actually been a bright spot for them. Uh, Drake London, who I like, don't love, but I like. Not sure I like him as a number one, but, I mean, I like him. Um, Desmond Ritter, a third-round pick from not this past year, but the year before. He's had a rough um, – Go of it so far. He's 29th in total QBR at 29.3. He's 26th in completion completion rate at 62.2%. Um, now, you can throw out the notion that the Falcons aren't protecting him well enough uh, as they're 29th in pass block win rate at 44.4%. But there are plenty of quarterbacks out there right now that are dealing with the same thing and look a whole lot better than Desmond Ritter does right now. Um, so... It, in this league, you got to be able to overcome some of those protection issues because it's just going to happen throughout the course of an NFL season, especially with the health of offensive lines and other things. Uh, he's not really throwing the ball downfield all that much, only averaging six and a half air yards per attempt. Um, and look, Taylor Heineke is at this point – I consider him to be a veteran. He's capable as a backup. Uh, He's shown to be capable even as an NFL starter. 25 starts under his belt already, one of which I believe came in a playoff game, which Washington 
had it. I mean, they were competitive in um, a couple years back um, and throw him in there for a week or two and see what he can do. And if it doesn't, if it, if it doesn't work or for whatever reason, it looks worse, you can go back to Desmond Ritter. Uh, But I would try to maybe throw Heineke in there who has experience. You can maybe provide this offense a little bit of a spark. Um, So I think we're on similar wavelengths there. But if you're a Falcons fan, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I mean, that was a pissed off Jacksonville team who had been, you know, who was humiliated last week against the division rival. So I I kind of expected from a well-coached team with Doug Peterson, with a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, playing in familiar territory, their 10th game in London. I believe that's the most of any NFL team. They're kind of London's team right now. Uh, just based on how much they've played there. They've had success over there before. Um, With your upcoming schedule, you got some winnable games coming up. It's not all doom and gloom if you're the Falcons, but give I would give, if I were Arthur Smith, I would give Taylor Heineke a try. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's time. Yeah. Let's, let's move on. All right. My first team. Uh, oh, technically the, uh, gosh, who are we just talking about? I, the Falcons. <laughs> Falcons. The Falcons the my Falcons. first team, uh, but my second team, and not taking anything away from the Cowboys as they just absolutely got back to what they did the first two weeks of the season. Um, and I kind of ex- expected a good performance from Dallas after – a not-so-great performance last week against Arizona. But the Patriots, boy, oh, boy. Look, you you lose a couple games early in the season, and I I don't know how much hope I have still that this is a good football team. I just don't. Uh, I look at the Bills and, and the Dolphins right now, and I think those teams run circles around the Patriots from an offensive creativity standpoint and an offensive talent standpoint an explosiveness standpoint. Um, you lose Matthew Judon indefinitely. You lose Christian Gonzalez indefinitely to injury. There's no timetable for when those players will be able to come back. I mean, Judon's been at the center. He's been a centerpiece of that pass rush. Mac Jones does not look good at all. There are, I mean, the on-field play has been bad as he had three turnovers yesterday and got benched. But uh, there are rumors with, you know, about his leadership and how he acts in the locker room and so forth. There are questions about his intangibles, not just his tangibles on the football field. I don't see it necessarily from this offense. I, I, I still don't love their weapons. 35-point loss, the worst of Bill Belichick's career, and credit to uh, the Dallas Cowboys for most of that. But, I mean, Mac Jones not cutting it right now, 12 of 21, two interceptions and I think a fumble. Uh, They tried Bailey Zappi. That didn't really get anything going for them, to be fair to Mac Jones. That Cowboys defense is just really, really fucking good. Um but 55 points 
The Patriots have scored so far this season, the fewest they've scored in the first four games of a season since 2000, which was Bill Belichick's first year coaching the Patriots. So I think they look undermanned at wide receiver once again. Um, to be fair to Mac Jones, he has had three offensive coordinators in 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 his first three years. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not – really an advantageous situation at all, but you have to overcome in the NFL. Um, Let's call it two and a half. <laughs> yeah. If you even want to call what they had last year, uh, an offensive coordinator. So I don't know, man, what to think about the Patriots right now. You're not in a very good position. You're what one in three uh and the Patriots and the Bills in your own division both look like bona fide Super Bowl contenders right now. So I don't know what to say. Yeah, um I was not expecting that performance from the Patriots Sunday. That was um it was very unpatriot like, let's just say that. I the just giving away of the football from Mac Jones was just so uncharacteristic of him. That was one of his strengths coming out in the draft was his ability to take care of the football and make good decisions. And he was making just not just bad decisions, but straight up just boneheaded decisions. Um, the particularly the pick six was just egregiously bad. Um, it came just after one that he threw late down the left sideline, the exact same way where the defender dropped the pick six. So, he just said, "Screw it, I'm gonna do it again," and he then he did. <laughs> I don't, I don't really understand what's really going on there. Um, and then the defense is still good. Um, they lost Christian Gonzalez today, which is really unfortunate. I think he went down with a shoulder injury, and that they did. They struggled once he left the game, obviously, but man, I mean, the Patriots. We always knew them as a team that was going to run the football and take care of the football and not let them or, or just not beat themselves ever. Um, they would never shoot themselves in the foot. They never did anything like this um, in the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick era. So this is just so strange. Yeah, it, it's strange. I don't know if all hope is lost. I don't think it is. I mean, you can't really count out a Patriots team that, plays good defense still, and maybe can figure some things out offensively. Uh, and to be fair to the Patriots, they've had to play the Eagles, they've had to play the Dolphins, and they've had to play the Cowboys in three of their first four games. And they actually put up a fight against Miami, had a chance to maybe tie that game late. Uh, they were in it with the Eagles. Um they, they squeaked out a win against the Jets, but that's a good Jets defense, uh, a Jets team that was in it with the Chiefs last night, even though you can have your field day with whatever you think about Zach Wilson, who actually played, I thought, a really good game last night aside from that, yep. that play late where it basically lost them the game. Um, and the Cowboys, who, aside from one performance, have been arguably the most dominant team so far this year. So, uh, yeah. Um, now, the reason I say not all hope is lost is I looked at their schedule. You get the Saints at home. 
who have a lot of the same problems as you do offensively um, right now. And he should win that game. And then you get the Raiders, who I don't really know what to think of the Raiders still, um, but they could win that game too with their defense. Then comes the real test, the Bills and the Dolphins back-to-back. So if I were the Patriots, I'd be looking – to at least win one of your next two games, but you probably need to win both just looking at your schedule after those games. Um, So we'll see what happens with new England. Uh, Do you have another team you want to mention? Yeah. um, Let's see here. The time to have the Bengals conversation. Yeah. Let's have that Bengals conversation. Yeah. um, I had kept them in my, power rankings, my top 10 power rankings from two weeks ago. And they kind of had their bounce back sort of performance against the Rams where they still weren't quite sharp offensively still, even in the win. Um, But man, it just went right back down to earth against the Titans this week. What are you thinking on this Bengals team right now? You watch a lot of AFC North football. Um, what's up with the Bengals? Well, first of all, there were, and this is weird, there were five teams this week that failed to score a touchdown. Um, And three of them were in the AFC North, believe it or not. Um, Pittsburgh, who we might talk about here in a minute, Cincinnati, uh, New Orleans, Cleveland, and there was one other that I'm forgetting right now, but I don't know. Um, it, it just feels off. Um, yeah. I know you have a banged up quarterback, and that certainly doesn't help. Uh, a hamstrung Joe Burrow, no pun intended. Um, it, it's now been a month, and it's kind of to a point where we have a good enough sample size to make some judgments. Not make any official declarations or declare any team dead, but we have enough right now through a month, basically of the NFL season to say kind of what the issues are and what's going on. And I just, I don't know what's going on. Um, first of all, you're not in a great situation considering that you've already lost two division games. So you put yourself at a disadvantage there. Um, and then yesterday you lose to another potential AFC playoff opponent, which you, I mean, those AFC tiebreakers, those head-to-head records matter at the end of the day, especially if you're going to be a team not necessarily battling for your division and battling more so for those wild card spots. Um, And that's still a long, long ways down the road, but you don't love to be, you know, 0-3 in the AFC right now. Uh, your win coming against an NFC opponent. Their offense just doesn't look very good right now. Um, you know, I, I don't I, – I can't really speak to exactly what went on yesterday. Um, it it kind of feels like the chemistry between Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow is not quite what it has been in the past. They're not throwing the ball downfield as much. They're not as explosive right now. Uh, and it's only going to get harder to be that kind of team that you want to be 
down the stretch as when the weather gets colder and the conditions get tougher and so forth. Uh, the offensive line, I don't think, is performing all that great. I I hate to bag on a division rival when in reality I think three of the teams, two other teams in their division, including my team, were absolutely terrible yesterday. Um, but there are certainly some issues in Cincinnati right now, and I don't think it's just uh, they'll they'll get this right. I think it's going to take some work. It definitely is. Yeah, and one of the one of the things that is kind of going under the radar right now as well is they're not running the football well either. Yeah, um, Joe Mixon. I don't want to say he's he's lost his step, but it, it sort of looks that way. Um, he doesn't look quite as quick or nimble. Um, it certainly could turn around here. Um, and, and this offensive line still needs to get their feet under them as well. A couple new pieces on that group as well. But the deeper we go into this thing and the, the longer we see this thing not click, the more you start to question. Um, and I don't want to be that guy, but there is – this one guy named Eric Bieniemy out in Washington that um, I think would be a pretty good fit, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so too. And I don't know, man. Look, Burroughs said himself that he's fine in the pocket, but when you ha- when he has to move, is when it becomes a problem, and that's what's made. That's part of what's made Joe Burrow one of the best quarterbacks in the league is his ability yeah. to improvise and make something out of nothing. Even though that he's not the most nimble or athletic guy in the world, he, he just knows how to play quarterback and can make plays outside the pocket, can extend plays, that sort of thing. With that hamstring, it kind of inhibits his ability to do that. Like he's usually able to do. And when you have an offensive line that isn't protecting right now or hasn't done a good job of that and the stats back that up as he was pressured on 48% of his dropbacks yesterday. Um, Bengals had a 32% pass block win rate, um, which, you know, just suggests that they, they struggled and got pushed around by that Titans defensive front. As we talked about earlier, when you have a quarterback that, that can't really move like he's usually able to, your offense is going to struggle, especially when you also can't run the football or not effectively. So I don't know. It, it It's weird what's going on in Cincinnati right now, but maybe the, I, I haven't looked at their schedule. The weird thing is their bye doesn't come for a couple more weeks. It doesn't come till week seven. So they're going to have to play out these next two weeks. I don't know what you do with Joe Burr. Do you, do you try to sit him and, eke out a couple wins, get to the bye week, maybe at, say, I mean, I don't know, you get to the bye week two and four, maybe if you're lucky three and three and just, I know that's a risk. It's a big risk. I don't know who they play the next two weeks, but maybe you let Joe Burrow rest until the bye week, try to keep your head above water until then, and then come back after the bye week, middle of October, late October when you're going into November and maybe you have a healthier version and a better version of Joe Burrow at that point. But 
I, I, I don't think they'll do that, but I don't know. I really don't. Yeah, they they've really hamstrung themselves, I guess, yeah. um, with their backup quarterback situation being so um, anemic. I guess um, their their backup QB, I don't think, is capable. Um, I, and I don't want to like be a hater. Like I, I'm sure he's he can do well in certain spots, but a team that's trying to go out and win a Super Bowl, ah, that's just that's just not a scenario that would be any good for the Bengals. It, it just it's just not nothing is pointing in the in the right direction right now. Not even the defense. Um, the defense has had bright spots and has had moments where they've been, you know, the good Bengals defense that we've seen the last couple of years. But even even them, they've been mostly average. Yeah. Okay. We had the Cincinnati conversation. Now, as we near towards the end of this podcast, time to talk about Pittsburgh. I was at this game yesterday. First of all, Credit to the Texans. Second of all, energy is fantastic. Great stadium. Uh, Texans fans, good hospitality. Um, they're really excited about their team down here in Houston. Uh, what they've seen the past couple of weeks, obviously. What they see in C.J. Stroud. How they've absolutely pushed around two, at least average to above average teams the past two weeks. Texans are playing great. And... That's that. This has kind of become a trend the past couple years um, with Mike Tomlin. A couple times a year, the past couple years, they've just been getting destroyed, which really wasn't a thing with Pittsburgh in years past. I don't know the exact stat, but since 2021, I believe they have six or seven losses by by 20 or more points and in the previous like 10 to 15 years they had six combined um look all you really need to say is i thought pittsburgh was not ready to play uh i thought they were out schemed they were out coached um tomlin's decision on fourth down was mesmerizing not to go for that um the offense once again, didn't look good. I thought they did some decent things in the running game. I thought Najee was running hard. I thought, uh, especially in the second half, they started to get some things going offensively. Um, the fact that Pickett got hurt isn't great. Um, but it looks like that injury is just a bone bruise and will likely miss next week against Baltimore and he'll be back after the bye week. So that's that's fine. But you lose Pat Fryermuth for three weeks. That's not great. Uh, your secondary continues to struggle. The fact that they're not starting Joey Porter Jr. yet is just blows my mind. Um, Levi Wallace, despite two interceptions last week, just isn't cutting it. Uh, teams are throwing the ball his way. Patrick Peterson is getting beat at times. They, they're they not really stopping the run. They did a decent job last week, but 
this week it, it reverted back to what it was against the Browns and the Niners. Maybe it's just a San Francisco thing. Maybe it's just D'Amico Ryans comes from that San Francisco tree. They saw what San Francisco did to Pittsburgh in, in week in week one. And they that that staff, I mean it's it's 49ers rooted, so I don't know what you can really draw from that. But I thought, you know, Pittsburgh just didn't play a good game. Um, this offense continues to just oh, – I don't know. It's it's not fun to watch at times. There are some yeah. good moments. There are good moments. And to be fair, uh, they are missing Deontay Johnson, who I think makes a difference. Uh, in this offense and uh, Dan Moore Jr. did go down yesterday and they threw Broderick Jones into, into the game, their first round left tackle. And I thought he did some decent things, uh, but your offensive line really isn't, isn't doing a good job or good enough job in pass protection. And I don't know, man, I, Tomlin said there's going to be some changes this week. I don't know what that means. I think if they're going to make a change at the offensive coordinator spot, it'll come. If it's going to come at all, it's going to come the week after this week during their bye week uh, is when they'll probably make some wholesale changes. Uh, But I'm not, even though, you know, It's not been good offensively the first couple of games, the first month of the season, aside from I thought what was a a decent offensive performance at the very bet or at the very least against the Raiders um, where they looked more efficient and it looked more put together. Um, I'm not panicking yet. Uh, I don't think right now you can say there's a very large drop off at all between the way that Pickett's played and the way that we've seen Trubisky play or the way he's maybe capable of possibly playing. Uh, I don't think that's a game that Pittsburgh's going to win next week anyway with the state of their team and the state of injuries, the way that Baltimore is playing. But it's a division rival. Those games, no matter what you think of the teams going in, typically play – I mean, there's been some outliers over the years occasionally, but they typically play pretty close games. Pittsburgh's defense has had Baltimore's number a little bit the past couple of years. Um, if you look at the numbers, after the bye week, just get healthy. Even if you lose next week, just get healthy. You already have a win in your division. Um, one of those losses came against an NFC team, which really won't, hurt you all that much when it comes to fighting for a wild card spot um and just get healthy after this week six bye and come back and we've seen i mean i've seen this movie too many times to panic and just rule this team out yet so not that i would um but it is kind of a concerning trend and i do think changes at some point have to be made with this offense. Yeah. I, the big thing that stood out to me watching this game on the condensed version, Kenny Pickett got, Kenny Pickett got hit a lot this game. Um, whether it was him 
running outside the pocket or, or running for a first down here and there. He got hit a ton and really just it just all came to its ugly head with that uh hit at the end there where he got injured. But man, I I just thought the Steelers offense sometimes I got that feeling with um Jer- Jason Garrett's offense when he coached the Cowboys where the defense just knows what you want to do, when you want to do it, and what formation you do it in. And when that happens, you're just fucked. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot more you can say other than that offensively. And then defensively, it felt like um, you really, really missed Cam Hayward this game. Um, The, you know, if you were able to stop the run, then maybe you would have been able to have a much better defensive showing there. But until he comes back, it feels like your team might or your defense might be a little bit more matchup dependent um, because with how the Texans ran the football at you, um, it really slowed down that pass rush, I thought. Yeah, what the Texans did when they did throw the ball, they were throwing a lot of screen passes to uh, minimize that pass rush, minimize negativity, as Coach Tomlin likes to say. They were getting the ball out of Stroud's hands pretty pretty quickly. Um, they did not allow T.J. Watt a chance of potentially wrecking this game if he could have. They they totally did a good job minimizing his impact both in the run game and making those game changing plays that we that we've seen him make over the course of the first three weeks of the season and throughout the course of his career. Um, Alex Highsmith did get some pressure on on CJ Stroud. He had a couple good um, a couple good plays, but they still didn't get to him. They really didn't touch Stroud all day, um, which was surprising. And at the end of the day, the interior of that line with with the Marvin Leal and Keanu Benton, some of the guys that have been stepping in place of uh, Cam Hayward since he went down with that groin injury just weren't good yesterday. They got pushed around. That's a credit to the Texans offensive line. Um, and, you know, I've liked some of the things I've seen from Cole Holcomb. I like the things I'm seeing from Quan Alexander, but they just, they were out physical. They were out schemed and that secondary, it, it's a little bit concerning. Um, the past couple weeks, these quarterbacks have picked one guy. Yesterday in particular, it was Nico Collins. And they just keep going to that guy over and over again. Last week, it was Devontae Adams. And Pittsburgh has done nothing to really adjust to that or try to minimize that, which is kind of concerning. Um, like, can you at least double the guy? I mean, can you do something? Can you put Joey Porter Jr. out there maybe? Um, I don't know what's going on there, but look, I'm I'm kind of immune to this at this point. Like this always happens with the Steelers. It's kind of the way that it's kind of what we thought, right? I mean, this is the reason why they were what in our power rankings, 15, 14. I can't remember exactly what they were ranked. Something like that, yeah. Um, They're going to have to win games in a particular fashion where that defense – 
is disruptive. That pass rush, they force a couple of turnovers. They maybe have a driver two or a player two offensively. We saw the long touchdown pass to, to George Pickens in, you know, against Cleveland, which was a big reason they were able to, to win that game in the end. And we saw the play to Calvin Austin last week to tie the game at seven. Um, so it's not like they don't have an explosive component to them. Like they can, they have the playmakers to potentially make those explosive plays, but Pickett's got to be accurate. The offensive line has to hold up. Um, and I think they need more timing routes over the middle. This offense doesn't throw over the middle nearly enough. A lot of it is either behind the line of scrimmage, screen passes to Jalen Warren, or outside the numbers. And with a quarterback with not the greatest arm strength in the world, um, throwing those out routes where you're kind of predictable at that point, where he's got a receiver, whether that be Allen Robinson or George Pickens, that he's looking to throw to, uh, if that initial route isn't open, the pass rush is there already. And Pickett doesn't really have time to stay in the pocket and get to his second read. And if he does, oftentimes the guy's not open because the defense knows what the play is or that Pittsburgh's tipped their hand at that point. So I think it's, they need, I mean, use Pat Fryermuth and use Darnell Washington over the middle. Use um, Pickens over the middle. I mean, a lot of the teams, they they run the play-action timing route over the middle. We, I saw it multiple times with the Seahawks tonight. Just, you know, throw DK Metcalf on that 15-yard in route off the play-action. Uh, it, it's just not a very well-run offense right now. And we're going to have to figure that out. And until we do, the, 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 I think the floor of it, while I still think the floor of this Pittsburgh team is very high, uh, the ceiling is going to be relatively low uh, until they, they figure out a more creative way to structure this, this offense. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh... – it's an interesting conversation surrounding the Steelers for sure. Um, and – there's a lot of interesting storylines to go around the NFL right now. And um, if we didn't get to your team, um, leave a comment below and we'll be, you know, responding to comments and even taking suggestions and plugging them into the next time we do this. So um, we appreciate you liking, watching the video. I have a question um, for you. Yeah. I have a question. For the next five minutes, can we quickly talk about the Ryder Cup? Yeah. Yeah. I gladly gladly i will gladly roast this u.s team go ahead oh my goodness oh where do i even start man um for one i think there just needs to be a change to our approach entirely i i think our guys don't play in europe enough at all um like how can you expect to you know not play in europe two years in a row and then go to Europe on a one-off and just expect to play good. Um, it's a, it's a tough challenge mentally with, with golf being a 90% mental sport and playing a road game. Like this is not something they, they do often. And you see the Europeans affected by it when they come here too. It's, it's both, it goes both ways, but 
by not going to Europe and playing in those events and particularly not playing the, the Italian Open this year was egregious by um, that not being in the game plan to these guys. I, I really do think just playing the course in a competitive environment would have helped so much. Um, we saw them really, you know, take strides as the week went on and, and start to play a little bit better, but it was just too little too late. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, oh my goodness. Um, some of the, some of the pairings were, I thought were just, um, not good decisions, that. not yeah. good decisions at all. Um, going with Spieth and, and Thomas in, Alternate shot was egregious, in my opinion. Um, two dudes that are veterans, yes, and are stars on our team, yes, but not in good form right now. And when you're in alternate shot, you need two elite ball strikers, for one, and two dudes that can put the ball in play off the tee. And Jordan Spieth was just not capable of doing that right now. It, it's a lot, man. Um, I'm, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you talk before I go on and on here. Yeah, we'll try to get to maybe a a Ryder Cup PGA season recap episode at some point. I the reason I brought this up is because I don't know when that's going to be. Um, because we have a lot of other stuff that we have to do as well. Um, look, getting swept. And the we need what we need to really do is calculate the winner of our competition. I I didn't uh, calculate our our points after the first morning session. Yeah, right. Um, so we'll 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 get on that and we'll let you guys know on our social media who won that competition. I'm assuming it's probably going to be pretty close. Yeah, um, based on the results. Um, Look, I mean, I think a lot of the credit's got to go to the European team. Yeah. Um, they, once again, just kind of dominated. I mean, yeah, they played it, got, it got kind – there was a point in time where it did get a little interesting on Sunday. The U.S. tried to make it interesting uh, with the Sunday singles, um, and they put up a fight there. But I thought – I found a lot of the other stuff outside of just the golf very entertaining all week the rory stuff with uh with um who was it that he got in a argument did you see I the believe rory it was fight? joe lacava yeah joe lacava yeah. that argument after uh after saturday um but man i mean there was a time where matt fitzpatrick just he would putt the ball and it would go in the hole. He would putt the ball and it would go in the hole. He would putt the ball. He just couldn't miss. He couldn't miss. He just couldn't miss. Um, Victor Hovland was very good all week. Um, yeah, I mean, that Europe, that Europe team with Shane Lowry who, I mean, they were just good top to bottom and the U.S. wasn't good enough, period. Um, it's kind of embarrassing at times, but they did kind of – put up a fight on Sunday. There were some questionable decisions at the end, one by Ricky Fowler um, to give uh, – to basically concede, concede the that putt. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
yeah, I'm kind of all over the place on my thoughts. It just it was a it was a disappointing Ryder Cup from a U.S. standpoint. Yeah, I I want to add one thing um, in saying I I think to Europe's credit, um, having that kind of hierarchy of players really helped them this week, and also the fact that when there's when they put their stars out there with um, one of their lower ranking players, like you knew the star was going to show up and perform. Like there was no doubt at all in Luke Donald's mind. Like, okay, if I put John Rom with, with fill in the blank, John Rom is going to show up and if need be carry this thing. I mean, and you couldn't guarantee that from a U.S. standpoint. Yeah. The, the star guys, the U S weren't, playing like stars it, that's just simple as that yeah so i mean that's that the u.s continues their drought of what is it 30 years of not winning yeah, 30 Europe. years and counting yeah the next Ryder cup will be 2025 i believe in the u.s yep. i think it's at beth page in new york um yeah, that'll, be interesting. that'll be interesting uh, by then, the way it's going, we'll probably have two or three more stars on on tour at that point. Um, we'll try to get to a golf episode at some point, uh, but we got a lot going on. A lot to yeah, look forward I, to. I think as soon as we get more news on this PGA Live merger and what it's going to look like, then yes. we can talk some golf here. So yeah. Um. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. We'll get to the winner of our of our little uh, draft that we had. Um, again, great sports this this past weekend with college football, the NFL, uh, and the Ryder Cup all mixed together. And then we're just gonna substitute the Ryder Cup for the MLB playoffs, and we're Keep for the next month we're loaded with uh, yeah. content here on the channel. So it's Red River Week. Uh, so that's great, but just like the chances of the Steelers winning when I go to a Steelers game, I'm now one in four oh, uh, in my career, uh, and those losses have come to the Jaguars, the Texans, the Cowboys in overtime, and the opening year of Jerry World. That was back in 2010, and then the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, We are going, going, gone. See you guys on Deep in the Heart of Longhorn Sports and our Power Rankings episode on Wednesday. Peace out. Peace out.